Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Michelle Canali with the Florida Association of Nurse Anesthesiology. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much, Lee. Thanks for having me. Well, I am so excited to learn about your association. Tell us about FANA. How are you serving folks? Well, FANA was founded in 1936. It is the professional association for 5,400 certified registered nurse anesthetists in Florida. Uh, We advocate for patients and members in legislative and governmental affairs and serve as a resource for CRNAs, the nursing and medical profession, hospitals, healthcare facilities, and other other people that are interested in anesthesia care. So what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in association work? Well, I have been a member of FANA since I was a student in my anesthesiology training program. And after that, I just started serving on a committee. I first served on the Government Relations Committee of FANA and then ran for an office. So I became a director and I served in that capacity for a couple of years and then just kind of progressively took the next steps. I served as a vice president for a year and then president-elect and now i am the current president of fana now when you started your career was this something you aspired to be doing or is this work that as you started kind of getting more and more involved it just became you know a passion area for you Well, I think I was inspired during my education and training in anesthesiology. My mentors in my academic program really highlighted the importance of professional involvement and advocacy, something that I model to my own students today. And I think that that's where it all started. And I just became very passionate about advocating for our profession and for patients. Now, are you seeing young people also following that path? Or is this something that you wish more young people would kind of go down that that road? We are absolutely seeing our up and coming future CRNAs um, involved in advocacy. FANA does a tremendous job of involving our student registered nurse anesthetists in advocacy. They're meeting with legislators and educating the public on what CRNAs are, who we are, and what we do. Um, of course, we always welcome more membership and more involvement, and there's plenty to do on our committees as well as in our office positions. Can you talk a little bit about DRNAs in the military? How has that role changed maybe over time? Yeah, so CRNAs were the original anesthesia experts providing anesthesia for more than 150 years, as far back as on the battlefield of the Civil War. Uh, They are educated and trained to practice independently on day one coming out of their program, just as their physician counterparts are. Uh, They're the only providers of anesthesia on the battlefield in forward surgical teams still today, whereas physician anesthesiologists are not deployed into combat zones like CRNAs are. Um, They practice in every setting in which anesthesia is administered, uh, including traditional hospitals, labor and delivery suites, interventional pain management, critical care units, and ambulatory surgery centers. 
um, and they are able to care for patients before, during, and after their procedures as their sole anesthesia professionals in rural hospitals um, and medically underserved areas. So they really play a critical role in maintaining access to care all across the U.S., uh, and 100% of CRNAs are board certified. Now, is there something that you would like to share regarding um, maybe some misconceptions of CRNAs or maybe there's something the public needs to know about the importance of this? You mentioned how how critical their service is. Is there a shortage of them? Do, you, do we need more of them? Well, we really don't have a shortage of anesthesia providers. We have a shortage of providers that are performing anesthesia. Um, in many instances, um, anesthesia services are duplicated where a physician anesthesiologist supervises um, a certified registered nurse anesthetist, uh, when in fact CRNAs are trained to the full scope of anesthesiology services and can practice independently on day one. Um, so that is a very common misconception about anesthesia care in the U.S. Um, it does vary by state law, um, but overall, uh, CRNAs can practice independently and create a very cost-effective and high-quality um, way to deliver anesthesia care. So that's something that's happening. It's almost like a duplication of services sometimes? Yes, exactly. It's a duplication of services. Um, the supervision is often superfluous um, and is not really required. Um, for example, in, in the Veterans uh, Healthcare Administration, there's a lot of supervision of um, certified registered nurse anesthetists, which is causing a delay in care and decreased access to care uh, for uh, our veterans. And that's something that could easily be alleviated by just uh, having more CRNAs kind of do that kind of work rather than wait for the one physician who's probably in charge of a whole bunch of stuff? Exactly. Um, so interestingly, 23% of veteran households report delays in getting VA healthcare appointments and surgical procedures, and 88% of veteran health households strongly support legislation granting veterans direct access to CRNAs in the VA healthcare system. Um, so the VA is currently considering a proposal to give veterans direct access to CRNAs, but that is likely to take years. Um, and as you know, our veterans are waiting for care right now. Um, they've already sacrificed so much for our country, and they really shouldn't have to sacrifice their health waiting for surgical care that they deserve. There are currently a thousand CRNAs currently serving in the VA healthcare system today. Um, and so the glaring question for policymakers remains, what changes when CRNAs leave the battlefield and come home to work in the VA healthcare administration? Why are these autonomous, independent, qualified providers uh, able to be independent in the most difficult situations, but then need antiquated supervision when they're here practicing in the VA healthcare administration? Is that a, a situation where kind of a bureaucracy has just taken hold and it's hard to kind of get rid of some of the status quo of we this is the way we've always done it, so this is the way we do it? Yes, that is part of the issue. Um, another part is just the lack of um, understanding of the public and, and um, you know, it, 
CRNAs provide most of the anesthetics around the country, um, but we are called the best kept secret in healthcare because our patients are asleep while we're taking care of them. Um, and, you know, patients don't often remember or they don't realize that a CRNA even exists, but we're often the ones who are in the surgical suite or in the labor and delivery suite taking care of the patient the entire time. Right. It's. Uh, I, I don't think anybody aspires to be a best kept secret. Like, a, <laughs> there's always. That's not a. And it's, it's a backhanded compliment. Um, yes. If you've ever had surgery, uh, or for those who are listening who have ever had a baby, you were most likely taken care of by a CRNA. Right. And like you said, they're allowed to be in in a combat situation and nobody blinks at that. And then they go into a, you know, a hospital here in America, a VA hospital, and then all of a sudden they're kind of put on the bench and it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if they can handle that chaos in a crisis mode every day, why can't they just handle what's happening inside of a VA hospital, uh, you know, on American soil? That's exactly right. And additionally, CRNAs have been working on the front lines during the COVID pandemic. Um, they were leading, there have been leading the critical response efforts, working in some of the most difficult situations. Uh, and for the last two and a half years, Medicare has temporarily waived practice barriers, allowing CRNAs to practice to the full scope of their education and training. Yeah, I think this is one of those times where, I mean, when it was good enough for a crisis, why isn't it good enough for when there's not a crisis? I mean, if it's already been proven and it's successful there, I mean, it just, the red tape has got to stop. I mean, it's just, we're we're hurting ourselves by not uh, leveraging the skills of these talented uh, CRNAs. That's exactly right, Lee. Now, for you as a leader of an organization, is this something that, you know, you just got to get the word out for the general public to understand, hey, you don't have to tolerate this, you know, we're going to, there's a better solution here, you don't have to wait for the one uh, physician, there's there's a bunch of uh, qualified and skilled CRNAs just waiting here to speed up that wait time so you don't have to wait any longer, is that you need kind of a ground up uh uh, kind of approach to get more and more people clamoring for this so that policy can change? Yes, that's true. Um, we are constantly needing to educate policymakers, both at the federal level, the state level, as well as the local level, and even at the facility level about who CRNAs are and what we do. Um, again, it's sort of a big secret uh, that CRNAs even exist. And even though we we were the original anesthesia providers, um, even before anesthesia became a medical specialty. Um, so we are constantly um, engaging in grassroots efforts to educate our legislators. Um, we continue to educate, educate, educate. And when they term out, we start educating their replacement. And it's a constant process to try to educate um, stakeholders about who we are and what we do. And it's a big misconception that somehow the care is inferior to that provided by a physician anesthesiologist, when in fact, there are multiple landmark studies out there showing that the care is equal to that provided by a physician anesthesiologist and at about a 25% reduced rate. 
Right. It, like it doesn't make any sense on multiple levels. <laughs> Not only will it be more affordable, it's get, you're getting the same outcomes and it, it just doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, this is what frustrates people with bureaucracy, you know, where there's a better solution just clear as day in front of you and then it still can't be implemented because of a bunch of red tape. Yeah. The good news is, is that there is um, the I Can Act, which stands for Improving Care and Access to Nurses. It's legislation that will ensure access to health care for millions of Americans by removing unnecessary barriers to high quality health care services. Um, specifically, it will provide access to CRNA services under Medicaid and remove illusory and superfluous physician supervision of CRNAs. This will help healthcare facilities avoid costly duplication of services and use their resources to further improve patient care in other ways. Um, this legislation is consistent with the recommendations from numerous healthcare stakeholders, including the National Academy of Medicine, uh, in their report titled The Future of Nursing 2020 to 2030 charting a path to achieve healthcare equity. Uh, the National Academy of Medicine recommends that all state, federal, and private organizations enable nurses to practice to the full extent of their education and training by removing practice barriers to improve healthcare access, quality, and value. Now, is this something that it's, uh, have they voted on this or it's, it's they're still debating this or looking at this, um, but a vote hasn't occurred yet to put this in place? That's correct. A vote has not occurred yet. It has simply been legislation that's been introduced um, and sponsored by several legislators. It's important to note that this is a bipartisan legislative effort that has sponsors on both sides of the aisle. So that's encouraging. Is this one of, I guess this is where an opportunity and a frustration is as a leader of an organization like this, is that you can see the finish line. It's just a matter of getting people just to kind of take the ball into the end zone here. It just requires probably relentless, tenacious uh, work on your part in order to get people to take action. It does. And as you can probably imagine, um, there is, you know, our physician counterparts are constantly doing the same thing from the other side um, and trying to make a case for why, physician anesthesia is somehow better, even though the research does not show that. Um, So it's a constant battle. Um, You know, the physicians have a lot of money to be able to fight the battle. So, you know, it's just about continuing to educate those and providing the real research um, and, you know, showing them how we are the answer to quality care at a cost-effective price. Yeah, and let's let's see them, you know, get in the front lines. Let's see them line up for that part of the equation. Yes, and there's plenty of work to go around. <laughs> I'm um, sure there is. There's no shortage. <laughs> yes, we need them in the operating room doing cases as well um, so that we have greater access to care for all of our patients. Right, it's an and, it's not an or. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes, um, you know, you get into these uh, zero-sum games, and it just, it doesn't help the consumer at the end of the day. Right. Now, what could we be doing more for you? It sounds like um, this is a battle that's been going on for a hot minute, and um, it just requires kind of tenacity to to get this uh, done. 
Well, um, so listeners can contact their legislators and ask them to support the ICANN legislation that is currently, um, you know, being sponsored uh, in a bipartisan fashion from both sides. It's a win-win for patients, um, for healthcare costs, for reducing the strain on the healthcare system, um, for healthcare equity. It's a win-win for everybody. Um, So, if you know those who are listening want to help with this, they can contact their legislators and ask them to help with the ICANN Act legislation. Um, that's at a federal level. Now you can also contact your state legislators, uh, your senators and representatives on the state level, um, to ask them to to, to support uh, CRNA practice at the state level as well. Now, any advice for other leaders of associations when it comes to this type of advocacy where it's a it's a battle that's, you know, takes a while and to just stay the course and to stay focused? Is it a matter of just getting as much data and research as possible to make your case? Like, how do you keep everybody engaged and committed to something as important as this over a long period of time? So I can tell you that um, FANA works very, very hard at this all the time. We are just one state, one member state in the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology, which is the national professional organization. Um, the AANA was founded back in 1931, just five years earlier than FANA. Um, And it represents nearly 59,000 CRNAs and student registered nurse anesthetists nationwide. Um, We work together with our um, mother organization, if you will, at the national level, the AANA, and they provide a plethora of resources to help the states and the state associations um, with educating legislators, with monitoring um, upcoming legislation efforts that may be for or against our, um, you know, our mission. So I would advise, you know, st- other state organizations to look to the AANA for assistance. Um, they're incredibly helpful. They have a lot of resources, um, and they've been a huge help to the Florida Association of Nurse Anesthesiology. Well, if somebody wants to learn more, uh, what's the website? What's the best way to get a hold of you or somebody on the team? Well, you can reach us um, at our website, fana.org, F-A-N-A.org. And there's a bunch of resources there as well. You can learn all about the different nurse anesthesiology programs in Florida. Um, There are announcements posted from time to time about different legislation that's that's going on or um, resources, um, Q&A, things like that on the website. It's it's really there's a lot of information there for anybody who wants to go to FANA.org. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work and we appreciate you. Thank you so much, Lee. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.